Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Something to be said about holy ground. Something to be said about standing in the presence of the Lord. Amen. What tremendous praise and worship. Great spirit this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to join me in the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra chapter 9. And we're going to read one scripture here found in verse number 8. Amen. The book of Ezra chapter 9 and verse number 8. It's here that Ezra underlined several things that are significant. They're uh, certainly were significant of the day, but I believe they're just as significant for you and I this morning. The Bible says, And now for a little space, and now for a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape, to give us a nail in his holy place, that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. Amen. Ezra said that God has provided a little space of grace. And that is my subject this morning. I want to talk about that space of grace. It's important what we do with what give, God gives us. It's very vital to what we, with what we, uh, it's vital what we do with the things that God places in our hands and entrusts to us. May the Lord bless you and you can be seated today. The Old Testament historical book of Ezra reveals some very important facts about the post-exile period of Israel. This is after they came out of the captivity of Babylon of 70 years. There is a single outstanding truth that I believe has been set forth in the book of Ezra which was prophetically stated in the book of Jeremiah. The Bible says in, in Jeremiah 29 and 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Jeremiah prophesies his voice, of course, is just the conduit through which the voice of God is speaking to the children of Israel. Just a few services ago, I talked about how that God had admonished Jeremiah at the very threshold of this 70-year captivity to purchase some land, to buy some property. This was before they went into captivity. However, God knew that he was going to spare a remnant and that his seed would prevail forever. And so that is what Jeremiah is talking about when he says and mentions that phrase, that expected end, 
There is, he said, I'm going to gift you or give you an expected end. That expected end, I believe, refers to this little space of grace that is referred to in our main text. Another translation of that same scripture says, but now for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God. Now, just for this brief moment, the hand of God's favor is shining. I'm thankful for the hand of God's favor and for those moments of grace that we can trace all throughout history. There are four specific promises that are given to us in this particular passage of Scripture, and they are these. God promised that there would be a remnant left for us to escape. He promised that he would make of them a nail in his holy place. He promised that he would enlighten their eyes and he also promised that he would revive them in their bondage. And so with these four points in mind, I want us to take a journey this morning through the word of the Lord. So with the penmanship and the, uh, and the, the, the welcomed presence of God in the life of Ezra, Ezra begins to share some things that the Lord spoke to him. A remnant that would be left for us to escape. I'm thankful today that we are living in a dispensation of grace. Grace is all we've ever known. But that is certainly not to imply that the grace we receive today has been the only grace that mankind or humankind has ever received. Because all throughout the word of God, we find windows of grace that God moved in people's lives. I think we could all agree that it was the grace of God in the life of Noah that caused his family to be spared from the horrendous flood. And, and so that little window of opportunity that was given to Noah, really, and whosoever will, but Noah and his family, for them to be spared. Amen. I'm, I, again, I'm thankful for a dispensation of grace that we live in, but there have been many little spaces of grace all throughout the centuries. Perhaps these were seasons that served as a forerunner to what we know as this dispensation of grace. Adam Clark, who is a Bible commentator, referred to this particular phrasing, little space of grace, as this. He called it the interval in which Israel was returning from servitude back to their own land. The awareness of grace in this verse reminds us of something critically important. And that is that God has never tried to hide grace from his, from his chosen people. God has never, never tried to just conceal that. He's always wanted to extend grace to his people. It was Ezra 9 and 8 that says, Grace hath been shown from the Lord our God. I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord that's been on display. I'm gonna tell you today that in this very house, I'm looking at some people this morning that your very life is a display of the grace of God. Amen. I'm gonna tell you there's many testimonies right here live in this building that you could just slip your hand and say, I, I am an example of what God's grace can do. Amen. And so even though Israel was full of doubt time and time and time again, 
We read about all of the things that God had delivered Israel from amid all the murmuring on the journey out of Egypt into Canaan. I will remind you again that when they came out of Egypt, they didn't, came, they didn't come out beaten down. They didn't come out cast down, but they came out with a high hand. They were scarcely out of Egypt's bondage before the murmuring and the complaining. God miraculously delivered them and provided again and again and again, and yet they were full of doubt. After 40 years of wondering, amen, he had a generation to take to the land of promise because God is going to always allow a remnant to remain. What God promised, he would bring to pass. He said it in Genesis 12, I'm gonna take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. There were a lot of turns, there were a lot of twists, a lot of hills and a lot of valleys. There was a lot of belief and there was a lot of doubt. There was some that trusted and held on and there were some that refused to trust and let go. But in all of that, God said, if I have to walk all of the doubt out of this camp, then we'll just give 40 years to this. But I have a remnant. I'm gonna take a people to the promise. I didn't say this to fail. I didn't put my word out there to take it back. I didn't state something to later change my mind. I'm going to have a remnant that will remain. What God has promised, he will bring to pass. He'll allow something to be left so that his promises can be fulfilled. In his grace, the Bible says that that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia. Cyrus made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom. That's what the scripture said. And in this proclamation, he instructed the Jews that were there to be free and to go to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they were to build the house of the Lord. Now consider these powerful words with me, if you will, going back to Ezra, but we're going to chapter 1. The Bible says in Ezra 1 and 1, now in the... In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord came, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all of his kingdom, and he put it in writing, saying, Thus saith King Cyrus, the king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Then he asked this question, Who is there among you of all his people? He, his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. Amen. Now, the, these scriptures in, in, in Ezra chapter 1 was Cyrus the king that said, your captivity is over. We're turning uh, the, the, the captivity around. We're going to open the gates. You're going to go back. And when you get back, you're going to build there the temple of the Lord. This was, allowed, this was allow, to allow them to be spared to rebuild the city of God. So let's take uh, another look, if we can, in some other scriptures and times that God had spared a remnant so that he could have left a legacy. Someone would have something to build on. I believe that we can find time and time again where God is making sure there's enough left 
that I can build again. There's enough seed left over from this harvest that I will be able to plant another crop. During the reign of King Josiah, who lived seven centuries before Christ, the law of God, the law of God had, had become almost hopelessly mixed up with common opinions and ideologies and idolatry and all manner of things that had so corrupted and convoluted the word of God. And so in this atmosphere, idolatry was flourishing and there was a huge contempt for the truth of the word of God. That just seemed to be commonplace. There was so little resistance to the moral erosion all around them. There was no set compass to lead them and guide them. And King Josiah had now followed followed a number of evil rulers. He was a young man, only eight years old when he was king. But 18 years into his kingship, he said, I've got to do something. We've got to turn this around. He had a great desire to be a good king and to do what God wanted him to do. And he knew that God wanted him to lead the people out of darkness. So he thought the first thing we're going to do is restore the temple. And it was in that process that something very significant happened. They're going to go in there and they're going to renovate, if you will, remodel the temple of God. No telling. All manner of things had taken place in the temple now. No, absolutely no way to know the horrendous things that have been going on in this once sacred and holy house. But in the process of restoring, in the process of rebuilding, the Bible says in 2 Kings 22 and 8 that Hilkiah, the high priest, said, I have found the book of the law that was in the house of the Lord. Amen. I don't know where he was when he found, amen, the word of God. I don't know if it was in a wall or under a floor tile. I don't know who had placed it where. I don't have any idea what was even in the mind or the thought process of the person that tucked this word away. But I want you to know that God moved on somebody in the midst of all this idolatry, in the midst of everything that is going on. God moved on somebody to take a few copies of his word and tuck them away. He said there's coming a day. Right now this generation don't care. Right now they're just worshiping their idols. Right now their life is full of debauchery and sin. Right now all they're worried about is what satisfies the flesh. But there's coming another king. There's coming another day. Amen. There's coming somebody that'll go to the throne. Someone one day is going to wake up and say we got to do something about this evil. We got to do something about all this that's going on. He said, I got a little bit of my word. I got it hidden somewhere. Hallelujah. I will direct the feet of Hilkiah. I'll direct the hands of Hilkiah. I'll direct the eyes of Hilkiah. He's going to reach out and get a copy of the holy word because God always has a way of saving just a little bit of a remnant. Let's clap our hands, shall we? Almighty God. Almighty God. Almighty God. Amen. 
Ahaz and Manasseh and Ammon had attempted to destroy all the copies of the law but God said I've got a little bit stuck back I've got a remnant I've got enough we can rebuild this there was a remnant that was saved in another instance God spared some voices of the prophets for his name I'll take your attention if you will to 1 Kings chapter 18 the setting of this scripture while you find it the setting of this scripture is the ending of a three year drought that Elijah prophesied would come this drought wasn't going to affect just a few but it was going to affect everybody including Elijah himself it was he at the brook that dried up it was he that himself was affected by his own word but when it came to pass amen you remember that Ahab and his wife Jezebel Jezebel wanted to have him killed he was running for his life amen and now the the, the, the uh, drought is over and it came to pass amen the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying go show thyself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth and Elijah and went to show himself into Ahab and there was a sore famine in Samaria and Ahab the Bible says you would you, you could almost miss this if you just read through it too fast and Ahab called Obadiah which was the governor of his house and the Bible says now Obadiah feared the Lord or that word means he revered the Lord greatly he, so Ahab calls Obadiah Obadiah which was his governor and the Bible says for it was so that when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and he hid them by fifty in a cave and he fed them with bread and water can I tell you today that during this three year drought when all seemed hopeless and it seemed like everything was quickly fading during a time when wicked Jezebel had cut off all the prophets of the Lord or so she thought there was a man by the name of Obadiah that was a part of their very government amen that was a part perhaps amen of breezing in and out of their lives on a regular basis amen God had put something in his heart hallelujah although he was although he was under the leadership of Ahaz and his wife God had still put something in his heart and when Jezebel said we're going to close all the mouth of the prophet I, Obadiah said I I don't know about that. I gotta feel like I feel like I gotta step up to the plate. And he said, I'm gonna put me 50 over here, and I'm gonna put me 50 over here, and I'll take them bread and water. I'll meet their every need. Why? Because there's coming a day when somebody's gonna hear the mouth of the prophet again. There's coming a day when somebody's gonna say, Preach to me the word of God. There's coming a day when not only is the rain from heaven gonna come. But there's going to be a spiritual rain. And Obadiah said, when that day comes, when that day happens, I've gotten these some voices. I've got some prophets that are going to be well hid and they're going to be well fed. Why? Because God is always going to spare a remnant. Oh, yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. God will spare a remnant. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, yes, Jezebel was getting all the airtime. Ahab, they were getting all the headlines. But God was dealing with a man named Obadiah. <laughs> Put 50 over here. Put 50 over here. Hear me today. 
from the beginning of time and it's true in this very hour God has always had a church and God is going to have a church in the midst of any season that the church has ever faced God has always spared his people and so we might ask what will the end of COVID-19 be what will the end of all this political unrest be and what will the end of all this social unrest be I can tell you this morning that I'm not shrewd enough to have all the answer that, uh, answers to those questions. But I feel very safe in telling you this, that God has always had a church and he will always have a church. Amen. God is going to spare a remnant. And so if God is going to spare a remnant, I want to be a part of that. Amen. I want to connect myself. I want to be so interwoven into that that is significant that I want to be a part of what God is using in this hour. Praise the Lord. This brings us to the second promise found in this passage. The scripture says that he would give us a nail in his holy place. I believe the word picture here is pretty clear. It portrays a nail in a secure sanctuary, in a wall or a tent peg perhaps driven in the ground. The underlying point is this, that God said, I will make of you something that depicts security and stability. And I will tell you this morning that it is not a secret that we are living in a very insecure and a very uncertain time. I, I will announce to you today, not informatively, but I will only confirm for you today that we as a nation are just only a few heartbeats away from sheer panic. Amen. You can just feel the uncertainty in the air. You can feel the uncertainty. You can see it in the eyes of people that at any moment something can happen. We are unsure of what's going to happen in the, in the political world. We're unsure of what's going to happen in, in socially. We're unsure of what's going on around us. Amen. We don't really know what the outcome of any of this is going to be. But I will tell you today that God is not wanting the church as a leaf shaken in the wind. God is not wanting the church to have the countenance of uncertainty. God is not wanting our pulpits to be filled with a message of uncertainty. God is not wanting the blood that is flowing through our vein to be chilled by the hour of uncertainty. Amen. God said, I will make you as a nail a sure thing. I will drive you in in my holy place. Amen. I will tell you this morning that God is not wanting the church frantic and God is not wanting the church running around trying to find our security blanket and somewhere find a corner that we can lay in a fetal position and suck our thumb until the storm passes by but I say God give us some anointed pulpits and God give us some anointed preachers and God give us some anointed saints and God give us desire like we've never had before in our lives hallelujah Lord touch us and Lord strengthen us and build in our heart and build in our mind and establish our going out and establish our coming in the church is the church and the church ought to say amen hallelujah 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 oh my God Hallelujah. Buildings in ancient times and eastern cultures were a lot more simple than the construction of our modern buildings today. Not furnished with a variety of accommodations that we have all gone accustomed to. But they knew 
they were going to have to have some sure places that they could hang some essential utensils. And so I, when I talk to you about a nail in a wall, I know that kind of gives us the opinion of an afterthought, that we'll just kind of tack this up here and we'll hope that this holds in every storm and every season. But I want to take you back to the culture. Often these large nails or these large spikes, amen, these stakes were fastened in the walls of these homes while the home was being built. This was not something we did three days after we moved in. This is not something we thought about, amen, way down the road and said we're gonna have to have some places to hang some essential things. But the master builder thought of it up front. It was in the blueprint. It was in the design that in this post, this is where we're gonna need this stake. I wanna tell you today that the church is not running around trying to find a sure place because it's 20. 2020 and everything everything slid off the rails. The church is not running around today because of COVID-19 and because of the things that are going on saying I wonder where we could drive a nail in that would hold us in a storm. No, no, no. God said I built that in the church. I put that in the church while I was still on the cross. Hallelujah. The church is a sure place. The church, we amen, the church can have a sure position no matter where we find ourselves, the church can have a sure position. <laughs> that's why, that's why, that's why in Acts 16 and 25, two men like Paul and Silas in the most unorthodox place, in the most, un- in the most unseasonable time while they were in prison, while they were in chains, while they were in stocks and bonds, they prayed and sang praises unto God. Where did this come from? Was this just something special in the DNA of Paul or was this just something special in the DNA of Silas? I say a resounding no. Amen. I'll tell you where they got that strength was because God had made them a nail in a sure place, a sure nail in his holy house. How are you still standing, sir? How are you still standing, ma'am, against all that you have faced in your lifetime? Is it because you're special? Is it because of your DNA? Is it because of who your grandfather was? No, it was because a long time ago, God said, I will make you a nail. I'll make you a nail in a sure place. And men, I'll make you a sure nail in my holy house. That's what I'll do. church a nail in a holy place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He will fix us. Yes, he will. He will fix us. Ezra 9 and 8, he said he will leave a remnant. He will give us a nail in his holy place. And then he says that I that God would lighten our eyes. Now, grace brought them more than just freedom. Amen. God said, I will lighten your eyes. There's an interesting passage of scripture in Samuel 14, 1 Samuel 14. I'll try not to take more than about 45 minutes here. But it concerns a man named Jonathan who at the end of the day was suffering Tremendous physical fatigue from the heat of the day and the heat of the battle. 
the day drew near its end and Jonathan was feeling the ill effects of the heat and war. Now, in verse 24, Saul, Jonathan's father, had set forth a very strange decree. And Saul said to everybody that was fighting that day, Cursed be the man who eats food until evening, and I am avenged of my enemies. We're not going to eat until either nightfall or we win. Now, so none of the people had tasted food. So they were all in the same physical position and condition that Jonathan was in. But Jonathan was not present when his father made this statement. So in innocent ignorance... 1 Samuel 14, 27, but Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath. Wherefore, he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes were enlightened. In the heat of the battle, Jonathan saw something that he knew would refresh him and restore him. Amen. And he said in verse 29, the end of that, he said, because I have tasted this honey, amen, my eyes have been enlightened because I have tasted just a little of this honey. And so when he dipped the end of that rod and busted into that honeycomb and then brought his hand to his lips, his eyes were enlightened. In a moment of weariness, he was strengthened. Amen. In our text, God said that he would take Israel out of Babylonian captivity and he would return them to their own land. And then he said to them, and your eyes, your eyes will be lightened. Amen. When we talk about the lightning, or the scripture talks about the lightning of the eyes. This is referring to new life or new joy or the dawning of a new day. I mean, we've all been there where you just felt like, Amen. I believe we can agree that there have been some days, whatever we were doing that day, maybe something physical or it could have been just something emotional, mental that had us taxed to the very end. And we thought we would never, ever be restored or we would never be strengthened again. But you just go to bed and you wake up the next day and you're just, it's amazing what those several hours of rest brought us and how the body could restore itself and the weariness that was there yesterday and, and the discouragement even perhaps that may have been there yesterday is just gone because there is the dawning of a new day. I believe the Lord can enlighten our eyes. Hear me, church, in this very hour. I will agree with you that there is, and it's all right for you to say amen here if you agree, amen, that there is a weariness about us today. Amen. We have been in a pandemic for months and months and months, and we've had to alter the way we do everything. Not just how we have church, but we've had to alter almost how we do everything, how children are taught in school, how we go in and out of some businesses, even though I know that some are, are, are open full, it seems. Amen. Others are not. And it, and, it, and it depends on where you are in the states and in the United States as to how, uh, how restricted we may or may not be. And with that, would you not agree? There's just a spirit of weariness. There's a tiredness. We just feel bowed over. Amen. Encumbered down 
down. But I'm going to tell you today, amen, that God is moving in this hour. And he said, even in your moment of weariness, in your moment of fatigue, in your moment where you feel like the heat of the battle has just slow walked you down, he said, I will enlighten your eyes. Amen. David prayed this prayer in Psalms 13. He said, Lord, enlighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Amen. God can just come along. And I believe that's what he's doing here for us today. <laughs> Hallelujah. I believe that's what God is doing for us today. He's walking up and down every aisle. He wants to visit the pew you're sitting in. He wants to visit the very spot where you're standing. And he wants to give you some joy. Hallelujah. He wants to enlighten you. He wants to lift you. He wants to strengthen you. Oh, yes, he does. He will give us spiritual insight. He'll anoint our eyes to see like we've never seen before. And we can be refreshed in the midst of the battle. And that was apparent that for the battle that Jonathan and Saul and those, and those people were in, that the battle wasn't over. Because he said, until evening or until I prevail over my enemies. So they were still in the battle. But even still in the battle, <laughs> he said, Jonathan said, my eyes have been enlightened. Because I've been able to taste just this little bit of honey. This brings us to our fourth and final promise. And I'll ask our musicians to come. He said that I will give you a little reviving. Amen. In your bondage. Now, God's grace didn't just provide life. But I believe it provided abundant life. And as we listen closely to the word of the Lord, we hear him say that he would revive us in our bondage. God's not saying, well, now, if you, if you win, <laughs> kind of like the race, once you cross the finish line, once you zoom under the checkered flag, then we've got a trophy waiting on you. Then we've got something to refresh you. But God said that I will revive you in your bondage God doesn't wait until we're at the end of our situation but he said I can touch you in yours I can touch you right there Not you don't have to get all the way through you don't have to finish this for me to touch you I can touch you in your bondage and so there's a songwriter of old that penned these words he came to me it says when I could not come to him he came to me. There are many personal testimonies in this building today of men and women who have had the strong hand of the Lord minister to them during their very hour of despair. During their despair. God wasn't waiting out front after they pushed you out of the hospital room and set you down in your car to whisk you back home. And said, I thought I'd just come by and strengthen you today. But God visited you in your hospital bed. While you were waiting on the doctor's report, God visited you. While you were between jobs or circumstances, when you didn't know what the outcome was going to be, God didn't wait around with everybody else just to show up with the media and the paparazzi. 
He said, I'll come to you in. I'll come to you in that. When we deserve him the least, it just seems like it's, it's, it's then when God just steps right in our life. Amen. Let's stand together. Throughout the last few years, it's... <clears throat> not been uncommon in in public places for flash mobs together and often around holidays we've seen some of these videos where groups of people are in a mall and they're just kind of strategically placed and then one person just starts singing and then another person starts singing and another person starts singing I've seen instances in multiple story malls where people were gathered together and some were even on different floors and after a while, one voice becomes two and three and three or six and six or twelve and twelve is twenty-four and then there's a hundred and after a while, everybody just has to stop because there's just such a harmonious melody that is just ringing throughout that facility. Now just bear with me and my folly here this morning. But the scripture says that David said, I was once young and now I'm old. And David said, I just want to write something down for the ages. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. <laughs> When I read that passage of scripture, for some strange reason, that idea of a flob, a flash mob, just flob, <laughs> a flash mob came into my mind. Don't you think for a moment that David is the only person that's qualified to say, I have been young and now I am old. And I just want you to hear me. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Maybe David was the first man in that mob to say that, but I believe somebody else joined that verse and somebody else joined that verse. And as time began to give itself to the ages, I wonder how vast that choir is today because there's voices in this building you're not ashamed of your station in life. And you can say, I've been young and now I'm old. Let me tell you something. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. You don't just have to go back into this old black book to find that. You can sit right down here on the front porch at my house and I can tell you that God has been so good to me. Amen. God gives us that space of grace, that space of grace. I, I don't know where we are in the complexion of, of world events. I don't claim to have the answers today. But I have really thought about many times that the church could be right now in such a tremendous space of grace. Amen. That's why we don't need to be tuning out, disconnecting, dialing back, 
waiting for a better time. There may not be a better season than right now. Amen. This may be a season, this may be a space of grace right now, right now, like never before. I hope the Lord don't find me disconnected, unplugged, unconcerned, out of the flow of his spirit. Amen. I want to hold on to his unchanging hand. Let's magnify the Lord in this song. Can you? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.